The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. This is News Talk. Good morning and welcome to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up today... One of her claims to fame is that she designed linen carpets for Bruce Willis. We meet the new Home of the Year judge, Sarah Cosgrove. Would you like to know how to save seven grand a year on your household bills? Well, we've a savings masterclass that you can't afford to miss. Buying art is back in a big way. We get tips on what to look for when you go searching for that contemporary piece for your own private collection. And from pineapples to lemons, we look at the growing trend of using food when it comes to interior design. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us here on The Home Show at 53106 for 30 cent. You can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and you'll find me over on Twitter at Sinead underscore Ryan. And remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show, our podcasts and all our greatest hits on the News Talk app, which is powered by Go Loud. Uh, Now, um, we've got word that the new census is out next month, uh, early April, and it got me thinking, of course, it was delayed by COVID, so we're kind Kind of already a year late on it and my goodness what a year that delay has been um, I, I think all our lives have been turned upside down certainly since the last census which was 2016 so it'll be very interesting to see what comes out of that uh, and the census people the CSO has taken some time to redraw some of it and one of the new elements is a contribution to a time capsule so this is a box as I understand it where you're going to be allowed to write anything you want you can draw a picture you can share a recipe for brown bread you can give out about the government I I don't know what people will do with that I'm sure some people uh, will take the opportunity to talk about Covid and the impact it's had on them maybe tell people for the future because this will only be disclosed in a hundred years time so 21 22 and maybe talk about the war in Ukraine or politics I don't know and I suppose I'd love to get some inspiration. I, my instinct is to apologise, I think, to the people in 100 years, or at least ask them if they're, if they're reading it, did we do enough maybe to save the planet for them, our descendants? Um, I'd love to know what you think. What are you going to write in that box? What are you going to do with it? Uh, how do you encapsulate uh, how you're feeling in 2022 for the people uh, in a hundred years time. Anyway, text us 53106, email me at com, and let me know what you are planning to write in the census box next month. And today, for now, you're very welcome along to The Home Show. Now, my first guest today is an interior designer who has, throughout her career, crocheted shoes for John Roche's London catwalk and designed linen carpets for Bruce Willis's beach house. She can now add Home of the Year judge to her list of achievements. I'm delighted to welcome interior designer Sarah Cosgrove to the show. Good morning, Sarah. You're welcome along to The Home Show. Morning. Thank you for having me, Sinead. Now, I mentioned a couple of high profile people there. Uh, you worked for John Roche. Tell me about that. That's fashion design. Is, is that where you started? Well, it's where I thought I wanted to go in terms of my career. So I think working for is probably uh, quite generous. If I'm honest, I, I did a summer internship there um, just as I was towards the end of college. Um, I had done um 
I was studying for a degree at Trinity, but I actually did a nighttime diploma in pattern cutting and fashion in the Grafton Academy. And I was very lucky enough to get a, a bit of a summer placement with John Russia. And it ended up being so formative for me because I really thought fashion, I always knew I wanted to do something creative and I thought fashion was where I was going to kind of focus my energy. But actually having had that you know, say, I think it was about three months, maybe four months in total, you know, having that experience really made me realize that actually my personality wasn't suited to fashion. And he, at that point, was also doing interiors and architecture mm. um, in his practice. And I could just see that out of the corner of my eye. You know, I wasn't heavily involved. I did some photocopying for the architects and the guys that were working for him. But I automatically knew that that was kind of something that was probably more enticing to me you know fashion is fabulous it's creative it's dynamic it's fast-paced but actually i wanted to do something with a bit more tangibility and a bit more longevity and really interiors was it for me then yeah. and it's more sustainable of course you're building you're building something for the longer term than just a catwalk yeah that's it but you know there's a lot to be said you know I get so much of my inspiration still um, from fashion and I, you know, my love of textiles and tactility and I'm constantly inspired by fashion, but just, yeah, my own personal sort of, of, of makeup suited the more, the more longer term projects for sure. Now, when you were making that transition, you moved to London and you took up, you did some studying and you took up some roles, but with, but I'm interested in the one with Candy and Candy. This is a, now a luxury property firm, folks. If you, ha- if you haven't heard of them, they're known for their trophy houses, lavish developments and interiors. Talk to me a little bit about some of those top end projects that you worked on. Well, Candy and Candy is truly at another level. I mean, it is the kind of modern uh, equivalent, you know, the projects were like the modern equivalent to the Palace of Versailles, you know, just <laughs> huge budgets, unbelievable emphasis on artisanal crafts, on materiality, um, you know. This is the money, no it, object stuff. This is no, where you come yeah, in with really your blank checkbook crazy, and your interior designer. Yeah, that totally <laughs> different absolute you know you know you really had to push yourself as a regular person you know because you had to think you took to almost you know forget who you were and really start to imagine and get into the mindset of that person who you know has very different values and has very different you know levels of expectation and quality and a sort of more is more is attitude and you know that their their homes often represented the kind of zenith of their um you know of their success so and they g- wanted these homes to reflect that really. so, so give me an idea doing. of what the ultra rich like the people who literally can have anything they want and don't have to think about the money what kind of things did they look for or do they look for well, I mean, one of the most maddest things I ever worked on was a vertical fireplace. And if anybody knows anything about physics, fire only goes one way. <laughs> and I okay. and my co-designers, we were developing, we wanted to create a fireplace that actually went over three stories. So meaning that the fire and the gas would actually, we create this organic, it was almost like a tree um, up a vertical kind of marble. <laughs> it's not mad. Wow. 
And it sounds it sounds like one of those pyrotechnics you see at the edge of rugby pitches. Basically, or... <laughs> that's, and it was funny. We had to fly in this expert who worked in the Burning Man Festival in um, the desert in California to God. to advise us on how we would achieve this vertical fire effect. So, like, there was that's just one example but it was really about just actually taking science and turning it as all you know like you were always trying to find or we had another client who wanted an oculus above his bed to open like in the opening sequences of james bond you know where the oh, the I gun opens the... and that basically yes. have that above his bed and he would be able to look at the stars fantastic so, you know, every home should have yeah. one <laughs> obviously yeah, 100%, yeah wow okay well of course you caught the eye then of somebody um mm. who uh immediately wanted you on board and where else would it be except Harrods and that person was Mohammed Al-Fayed who obviously saw this and perhaps wanted it for himself but also thought that his uh, exclusive clientele could benefit from your experience. What was that like? You were chief designer at Harrods for a while. Yeah, so I was brought on board um I did a couple of things when I was there, but the main thing was um, they have obviously um, an incredibly, um, you know, high level global clientele. And they really felt that they were uh, maximizing them on every level in terms of fashion, jewelry, beauty. um, And they were losing them a bit when it came to the home uh, part of, of the offer, purely because, you know, there's so many decisions that have to be made when you're creating an interior. It's very much a, a specialism. It's not something you can necessarily walk a shop floor and mm. just, you know, buy off the cuff. You know, you need to have your measurements done. You need to have, you know, the context of the space, all these different things. So he was really determined to try and capture what he felt was that missed opportunity. And I had worked for various people along the way including candy and candy who at that time were just so high profile mm. in terms of that very high-end kind of customer and um he I, I i literally he poached me from across the road the offices the candy and candy offices were actually directly across from harrods so um i got headhunted interviewed with several people ended up he did my final interview and gave me a book and told me all about his passion about interiors oh and, who knew um, yeah. Oh, no, it was really actually he told me he's he said, you know, his true passion was interior design and actually saw himself as an interior designer. And you could see that by the store, the Egyptian really? escalator. Yes. You know, he invested heavily in the building and he was always so involved with the kind of creative element of, of yeah. what's happening at that time. An eclectic and, look now, it has to be said. Yeah. And and not not for everybody, you know, but um, but, you know, it created a retail theatre that people still know and love. And, um, you know, he obviously moved on shortly after I joined. Mm. He sold out and um, but it was incredible. You know, I was there for five and a half years. I traveled extensively, worked on projects globally and had, you know, was able to build a, a very big team. And I'm in touch with most of them to this day. And, um, you know, it was an incredible experience and especially you know, just the, you know, I'll never forget. It was sort of the making of me, really. Yeah. And it set you up then all of that experience and, and that extraordinary life that you lived must have been the perfect setting then to go and meet Hugh Wallace. Um, because 
because you transitioned to RTE's Home of the Year, which is yeah. now on our screens. We're kind of, yeah. you know, at the beginning of the mid-season. And yeah. um, you went alone. You you kind of decided, right, you'd had enough of that. You came home, you went alone. So fast forward to 2022 and you have joined the institution that is that show. Um, yeah. What possessed you and how is it going? Well, you know, I would like the honest thing is they knocked on my door. And one of the things that I love is a challenge. I always have and always will. And it was just one of those sort of random universe moments that you just kind of think I didn't have a huge amount of time to, to kind of toy with the idea. So I just sort of jumped in and, you know, I was very lucky because um it is such an established format it has got an absolute cult following it's so fascinating i have been an armchair judge for multiple years i think it's like the first show i really got into once i moved back to ireland and um suddenly you're in this parallel universe of you're standing in the room and you've got to do the judging and mm. you're so conscious of all the times that mm. you've sat on this <laughs> and been judged exactly i'm the person doing it and um Working alongside Hugh was amazing. He's he's such a professional and he really understands what the show is about. And he's been there since the get-go. So that was really great because you had to learn, you know, really on the hoof and um, being able to, you know, just see him and Amanda in action was just great. Indeed. All right. So um, it, it's hugely popular. I mean, we just love that whole squinting windows things of peering into other yeah. people's houses and seeing how they live and maybe picking up some some tips with it. Now, there's usually a kind of a carefully curated difference of opinion, but actually you've been so far, you know, you, you have your say and you're not afraid to say it. I think that was really important for me because... You know, you are there. You know, you, you, well, for me, it was it's a it's a very surreal experience. I'm not a TV presenter. I'm a design professional. That is my job. And um, coming into the show, I just feel it is home of the year. And there was a few things that were really important to me, and that I've sort of maybe been thinking, had thought about myself when I was watching the show. Um, I think it's got to be really interesting for the viewer. I think they. Um, have to see what we see and sometimes that you know we that's not how it is and just mm. the edit if you know what I mean so it was just it was important for me that I was able to kind of have a voice and obviously because the architecture background of Hugh and Amanda I don't have that I have a very different background I'm looking kind of from the inside out whereas often from an architecture perspective you're looking from the outside in sure so sure. it was just a different dynamic so I think that's come across and I actually have no doubt I think it'll heat up a bit more <laughs> oh <laughs> you know something we don't know yet we're looking forward give us a hint <laughs> all right so we can expect we can expect um, polite fisticuffs at some stage during the series that's what I'm hearing there all right Sarah Cosgrove uh, thank you so much for joining us on the home show home of the year airs every Tuesday at 8.30 on RT1 and you can catch up on any episodes you haven't yet seen on the RTE player Sarah we know we're going to see some much more of you and continued success in all that you do. Thanks for having me Sinead. I love your show. Thanks Mel.
Now, between the increase in the cost of living and the ongoing fallout of the war in Ukraine, everybody is going to feel the pinch in their pockets. So, you know, I like a bargain, folks. So a headline caught my eye, which was how to save up to €7,000 on your household bills. So I thought we'd invite in the article's author, Dara Cassidy of Bonkers.ie. Very welcome to the studio, Thank you, Sinead. Now, there's loads of great tips here, lots of stuff on on the article itself, which I'm sure is up on your website. Um, but we're going to look at, at a couple which are home related and house related and there's a, there's no getting away from the biggie which I think is energy. Absolutely. I got my electricity bill in last week. I opened it, nearly fell over. The gas one, I actually, it came in yesterday but I haven't opened it. Yeah, my electricity bill is due in the next two weeks and I'm afraid to get us and open yeah. it as well. That, um, it's not direct pre- debit, it's going to disappear <laughs> out whether I open it or not. I just don't want to prepare for it. Like you said, there's no getting away from us. Gas, electricity and of course petrol and diesel, home heating oil, they are all at record highs and I think people are in for a huge shock when they receive their next mm. bills over the next week or two. Look, Look, I'm of the view that these energy companies, and there's lots of them, this is a very competitive market, mm-hmm. but they can't control the price of oil. They they have no control over the PSO levy and the VAT rate and all that. So what can, what hope do ordinary homeowners have? Yeah, well, the thing to remember is that, as you said, that there still is a lot of competition. So there's around 12 energy suppliers in the market. Most of them are all competing aggressively for new business still. Mm. And in order to attract the new business, they offer really, really good discounts and really, really good deals to entice people to switch. Freebies, the bribes, yeah. Freebies, bribes, um, supermarket value points sometimes, um, cash back, but also a discounted rate. So you could get anywhere from maybe a 30 to a 40% discount off your gas and electricity for an entire year by switching. And if there is one year you do not want to be paying top dollar, top price for your gas and electricity, this is the year. Indeed. Now, I get bamboozled and I know this stuff about unit pricing and kilowatt per hour and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So what should you look for if you're really intent now on getting a better deal? The first thing is to make sure that you compare the markets. Um, there was recent research from the CRU, which is the communication or the um, Commission for the Regulations of Utilities, yeah. which showed that around maybe forty to forty-five percent of people say they've never switched energy supplier. Wow, so that's so a big are number. They, they're just reverted then automatically onto the highest tariff, yeah. which is called the standard yeah. tariff, but it's actually the really expensive yeah. one. Yeah, so they're people, and even the people who maybe have switched relatively recently, yeah. they might be getting a discount, but they're not getting a great discount. It might be. 5%. Okay. So if you go on, you can go on to obviously Bonkers Salaid, there's other sites out there as well, but you can quickly and easily and simply compare the prices and compare the deals. And actually, it is also quick and simple to change because I, you know, did it not too long ago. I have a look around every every year or two when mm-hmm. I'm out of contract, but actually nobody calls to the house. There's no holes put in your wall. There's no, I have a, one of the smart meters now, like lots of people in the country, they're being rolled out. It really is quite painless. It, it is. It is genuinely the quickest, the easiest and the simplest way you will put around five to six hundred euro back into your pocket. Mm. If we were talking about switching mortgage or switching broadband, I'd say there's a few watch outs. It's going to yeah. maybe take a little bit of time. This can be done in minutes. It can all be done online. Yeah. And what people need to remember as well, that we only have one electricity network in Ireland, one gas network. Yeah. You're not changing pipes, as you've alluded to. You're not sending back equipment. All you're doing is actually changing their supplier. So you get a different coloured envelope coming That's in. It. 
it. Literally, right. that is it. Now, to do it, you need the, the there's more acronyms on a, on an energy <laughs> bill than on anywhere else, <laughs> right? Is. So the MPRN, that's the that's the electricity meter number, yep. and the gas one is the GPRN. Yep. They're on your bill. So just pull out a bill. Is that all you need? Pull out a recent bill. Yeah. And as you've said, it's your MPRN for electricity, your GPRN for gas. They identify your properties, so they will never change, even if you change okay. supplier. Okay. Uh, you'll also need a recent meter reading, and then you'll just need to give a few personal details, name, address, IBAN, and really that's it. Okay. And then that information gets sent over to the new supplier, and then with around two weeks, they'll send you out a welcome pack, and then you'll receive a closing bill from your existing supplier. And whatever gimmicky thing you signed yeah. up for. Brilliant. Now, the other area is um, another bill that comes in every single year, and that's house insurance. Mm. And there's two elements to this now. There's the building insurance and the contents insurance. This is the one we stick in the drawer and go, yeah, 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 I'll look at it. Yeah, yeah and we stick it in the drawer and we never look at it. It's probably the one, the bill that people actually change the least. When it comes to car insurance, we are obsessed with mm. changing. And I always say to people, that obsession we have with getting the best value for our car insurance. we get so angry we over get the, so angry. <laughs> over we, the we rig up all people and we complain. But like literally, the, the obsession and the anger that we have with car insurance bring that to other bills as okay. well okay. and certainly with home insurance the savings to be made what people need to make sure is that they don't overvalue their house so when you obviously there's buildings insurance and then there's contents mm. insurance as well before buildings insurance people often make the mistake is that they value the buildings insurance based on the actual market value of the house and mm. we know that house prices have absolutely shot up yeah. so you're buying 500,000 worth of insurance but in fact all you need the land isn't going to be burnt to the ground you know exactly now unfortunately construction costs are going mm-hmm. up but it's very easy to check online what the rebuild value of your home yeah, would be so just make sure that you're not overvaluing that. they have a like calculator absolutely yeah okay. yeah right, other good. little things as well is just making sure that you're a safer bet so if you've done anything to the home that might make it safer that might make it better maybe you've installed a new fire alarm system maybe it's a sprinkler system if you have a very very big home you know make sure that you let your uh you know insurer know okay. and, and don't be afraid to ask them as well you know know, um, what can I do? Is there anything I can do to bring down the cost mm. of my premium? And then obviously shopping around Even and just not being afraid to take as the... as simple as buying a lockdown dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it barks loudly and let the insurance company know. All right. Uh, now, the biggie, of course, when it comes to houses and home insurance is switching mortgage. Mm-hmm. And I know people go, oh, no. I, they remember what they did the first time yeah. around and how long it took and how draining it was. But the switching piece, yes, there is a lot of paperwork, but your house probably has improved in value mm-hmm. since you last did this. So does that make you a better bet then for banks? Yeah, absolutely. Because your interest rate that you're offered, even if you're a first-time buyer, but also if you're a switcher, is based on how much equity is in your home. So the more equity or the bigger the deposit, the lower the interest rate. So listen, house prices going up is not good for first-time buyers. It's really, really difficult for them, but it is actually a boon for switchers because mm. it means that they've way more equity in their home. As you've alluded to again and, and touched on, when people go to switch mortgage, they think of what it was like the first time. But I'd argue that a lot of the stress the first time is it's actually getting the home. It's worrying <laughs> yeah. about whether you're going to be gazumped. You know, yeah, it, it's yeah. not and so much the application process, you know. And actually, is it not the case that your own bank that you're currently with, you mightn't have to switch at all. You might just have to switch mortgage product. Yeah, sometimes they do. It, it does depend. Certain banks are better than others. And actually, Ulster Bank and KBC, who are, of course, about to leave, were very good at offering existing customers good deals. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Make sure that you could get a better rate with your existing mortgage provider before you go yeah. looking to, and you to, don't need to the go whole elsewhere. Palaver then, because you're, you're de risked. 
Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And of course, there is cash back as well that some of the banks are giving to help towards the switching costs. And yeah. um, AIB is offering a flat €2,000. Permanent TSB is offering 2%. So that'll more than offset the switching costs as yeah. well. All right. OK. Dara Casty, great tips there. Uh, bonkers.ie is the website, of course, and your blog and your all your articles are up there so people can get better ideas. Thanks a million for joining us on The Home Show. Thanks, Sinead. Now, buying art is something that many homeowners would like to do, but often feel too intimidated to actually make a purchase from a gallery. Well, my next guest is no stranger to the home show and he joins me now to give me his straightforward guide. Well, I hope it will be straightforward (laughs) on how to buy contemporary art uh, for your home. Ross O'Sullivan, Associate Director and Auctioneer at Herman and Wilkinson. Welcome back to the show. Great to be back. Nice to have you back in studio. Uh, Now, Ross, uh, let me start with the basics because uh, this is just an area I adore art. I love it, okay? And I'm very probably traditional in my tastes. As most Irish people are. Yeah, yeah. So Mm -hmm. like the old kind of landscapes and a bit of Mm -hmm. acrylic and that kind of thing. So when people talk about contemporary art, tell me what they actually mean. To be honest, the contemporary art sphere uh, is uh, is evolving all the time. Um, But due to the internet, due to social media, it's constantly changing. So what was contemporary art 10 years ago is completely different now. So, for example, a colleague of mine purchased a contemporary art installation, which was just a video on a white wall, projected onto a white wall. He purchased it at a gallery in London a year ago. And when he went to collect his piece, he thought he was going to collect, you know, the, the, the work in terms of a projector, et cetera, et cetera, to be set up. And he got handed a DVD. So essentially, <laughs> essentially, the the sphere of contemporary <laughs> art is changing I'm tempted to say it serves him right. Oh, sorry, it doesn't. <clears throat> what, what did he pay for something like that? Uh, it, a five-figure sum. Uh, 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 now, it's a fabulous installation. It's a fabulous work. It's it's our job as auctioneers and gallerists to, to sell it. It's not the artist's job to limit themselves and limit their interpretation of what art is, and nor is it mine or anyone else's. But in the contemporary art market of Ireland, we are still quite grounded. We're still quite. You want um, to see something, though. For yeah, the money, you want to have you? something exactly. So we're trying to put a sale together mm. that we are handpicking artists who we think um, aren't just say a good investment, but will appeal to masses. Will 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 suit people's homes and people's tastes. Okay, so you've authenticated it. You you've yep. kind of curated it, yep. and and I believe you even scout around the art colleges as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I I go artists. to the NCA. AD show every year um, like I, I think the power of contemporary art in Ireland is amazing we are stepping into a sphere that we I don't think we've been in for, for decades to be honest um, the artists that we're producing in this country are world class So just give homeowners then for people who might just be thinking of doing something a little avant-garde mm-hmm. getting getting away from the landscapes maybe yep. um, and the traditional yep. kind of pa- paintings what would you recommend that they do to try and even find out their own sense of what they like? Yeah, well, I think if you need to find out what, you, what you're interested in, what you like, we have, again, another thing we have in this country is world-renowned uh, galleries. Our galleries are amazing. Um, walk around galleries. There's mm. no gallery, uh, including the our own museums here, but there's no gallery that's going to stop you from walking in the door. Um, so come in, go look, look around, see what you like, um, and then come back and kind of go through what I'd say I have kind of a couple of key tips for people to aim towards um, when they are looking to purchase something. So when you know what your taste is, the first most important point is 
only buy what you like. There's okay. nothing Don't worse. Don't be thinking about what it's going to be worth in 10 years exactly. or leaving an heirloom to your exactly. kid. You're going to be looking at this thing, aren't exactly. you? Exactly. Okay, I deal okay. with clients all the time who... So buy what you like. Exactly. Brilliant. Go down, okay. go down yep. the investment route. Yep. And it's just... It's, mugs game. Yeah, yep. mugs game. Second thing, uh, most important as well, is to try and meet the artists. Try and try and talk to them. If you can build a relationship with an artist in terms of at a gallery viewing, mm. at an auction, uh, an auction viewing, try to meet the artist. You'll get an impression for what you're buying. Um, you'll you'll realise... So what's behind the work okay. and that's very important okay. and then you'll have a story to tell when people come and look at, at your house yeah. and your painting exactly. and say oh I met exactly. this guy and this is what he was doing exactly. Okay. and then another major thing is do not be lured in by a name I have friends colleagues uh, across the world who are lured into purchasing by oh like well, Marky Robinson it's or such a, and such you know oh, I bought okay. a Louis okay. Le Brocchi or oh, I bought this okay. yeah okay. well that's it's a name on a piece of paper until you know so don't be led by that but make sure you like it make sure you, you you appreciate it and you understand the work and then also do not buy just based on a name if you walk into NCAD no one has a name but there's mm. fabulous artists in there oh, okay. um, if you exactly if you walk into the contemporary art sale or into a gallery an awful lot of the time you walk around the RJ you won't know the names you're looking at the name's unimportant until it is. Okay. Well, of course, yeah, you'll help to make it important yeah, exactly. maybe if you buy the right piece. Exactly. Okay. Now, Ross, um, the upcoming auction, so where can people find out more about that? Yeah, so if you go to our website, uh, herman.ie, um, you will be able to see we are currently consigning for it. Uh, we're consigning from artists, mm-hmm. from our, uh, directly from our uh, clients as well, and also from galleries. We are we are uh, in talks with a couple of galleries about working together, um, creating a synergy that hasn't been there between auctions and galleries for a long time. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right, Ross Sullivan from Herman and Wilkinson. Thank you Thanks very for much for joining us on the Home Show and the best of luck with that auction. Sorry, I love this tune. Yes. Uh, Dirty O'Can, of course, covered by so many people, including our own Roshi yes. Murphy. No, at the drop of a hat, <laughs> Dirty Old Town, especially with the drop in me. Drop, drop, <laughs> drop of a hat and a glass of whiskey. Yeah. I know, I love you, Kelly. Oh, listen, yeah. I know no, it is. It's fabulous. Yeah. All right. And um, and you're very welcome back Thank to you the Home much. Show after your spring break. And um, that song we are playing yes. that because I know as part of your break yeah. you left this dirty old town I and you went did. elsewhere and you found a much cleaner town I tell where you, was it? Okay I am a big fan of Dublin anybody and yeah. Limerick and Galway I'm big into Irish urbanism big into the whole bit of an activist I've loved to, to, to swan song myself around about that and really decided as a kid you know I wasn't going to emigrate I was going to come back I even got a, offered to go to college in London I was like no I'm you know Dublin 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 and um, worked in London and everything and worked in Paris, but came, initially went to Belfast, went off in Connolly and came back uh, into Connolly Station and thought, mm, this is a bit grim. This is a bit dirty. Right? Didn't think that much of it because I, mean, I love kind of the design of Connolly Station. It's always been one of my favourite ones and thought, you know, this, what is that? OK, just back of the head. Then we went to London. We were on a food tour and London was completely different. Then I was jealous. I had active begrudgery. I was like, why? First of all, the public transport, Mm. right? It's not alone that they have public transport. They have clean, really clean stations. Like you could sit on the ground and and eat, have a little picnic in King's Cross. Mm. And that kind of shocked me. But then there was a little fella sweeping up. Everywhere there was fella sweeping up. There was public benches that you could power your phone on. 
Like, and I thought they were going to be destroyed by Brexit. You know, I was like, they, wait till you see, we'll just flower. Now, I am, I think there are areas of Ireland that are really clean and there's definitely an argument that we're a cleaner country with better air quality. There's a lot of things going for mm. us. But if you're living in the north inner city, in the Georgian Quarter, which is a place that is a tourist hotspot, there's nobody picking up the rubbish. There is piles of rubbish on the on the on the paths around Dublin what at the moment. What do you moment. think is the reason for that? Because I mean, look, the parts of of cities, certainly parts of the nor- north inner city in Dublin mm. and parts of Cork, they regularly fail these kind of littering. Yeah, the Tashka surveys. Yeah. yeah. Like, do you think that maybe it's not enough of a home for people? Could that be it? Yeah. Like, that if you're living in a neighbourhood, a suburban neighbourhood, okay. and, and you've kind of got a vested interest in keeping it nice and clean, I, is, is that too facile? I think what it is, is that it is maybe a migratory population. Mm. Which is one of the things we're going to be dealing with. People yeah. are just going through it. Through it. There's people yeah. renting. There's there's and as we know in Ireland, the culture of facilitating people who rent in communities is not mm. there, which is one of the great fears. People are going, okay, we're, they want us all to rent, but they don't want to actually put in the infrastructure that's required to support a transient community in these areas. There are there is a communities that are poor and they are provided for less. There is a less spend per head of population in the north inner city than there is the south inner city. And the argument would be, oh, they don't pay as many rates, they don't pay taxes. They've removed bins. People can't afford to pay for their bins, charges and their services. Mm. So they're in a situation where they cannot afford part of the basic service that a city needs to provide for its people. This isn't just about providing for those who have. To make a city work, you have to provide for those who have not. Now, that's also, also when you see with public transport, like the thing with London was it was it made you feel as a person on public transport. That was that was the blood line of the city that providing access for people, everybody, that it was actually cool to be on the underground. There's American planning where you will have an awful lot. Of, they even can plan in prejudice. There's a whole load of weird things that go on in American planning. But in fairness to the Brits, and I'm not usually one for this, they have a very equal opportunity public transport system. Mm. You're as easy to go in. It's better, you know, a public transport system. It, it doesn't, public transport shouldn't be prejudiced against what community you're coming mm, from, where you're living. Mm. At the moment in Dublin and in most of our and cities... And it is very egalitarian. Egalitarian. Public transport is... Yeah. Uh, but that's about the city being a whole rather than what we are. It's still very neighbourhood based because when you look at the recent report on littering in Dublin, it's all, OK, Grafton Street's grand, but Parnell Street's a bit dirty. Ranelagh is fine, but say North Frederick Street. But that's not how a city works. And if until they start, Dublin City Council really need to target each area mm. as if they don't as if they're not rate pairs as if it's just part of the matrix now lit- litter bins of course are part of the street furniture that you see along with the lovely yeah. flower boxes and the benches and mm-hmm. all that do you think we don't have enough of them and they're not cleared off well enough? they removed them there's been an active removal of bins from parks and public spaces Why in Dublin City that, do you think? I think they had this thing when the bins were introduced if there was people using the bins because they couldn't afford to use the bin services and that's why the thing is that mm. unless we start carrying everybody in terms of providing um, collection 
and providing services for everybody in our community, our city is going to be dirty. Well, there has been a call to do away with the private, all the private bin collections and, and bring it back to the municipality and have the council now back doing on, do, do you agree with that on that exactly they had a th- and I was interesting because I was tra- tracking why London Underground is so clean and uh, also the, in terms of conservation it really gets it it nails it and I worked on a conservation project there 30 years ago and they still protected all the indigenous kind of uh, design that belongs there but they wrote on behalf of London Transport Authority um, they had cleaners who worked all during the pandemic and they all of the Labour MPs in particular a group of them said it's time to end the outsourcing of cleaning. Okay. Because our London Underground staff have done so well. They were there right through the pandemic. Outsourcing of all the basic things instead of regarding cleaning. And this, I think, is the mentality. We should, our, why nobody is up in arms in the doll saying, why aren't we giving our task force, our cleaning better? They're part of the front line. And they, instead, they are not being supported and it's all being outsourced. Yeah. It's exactly that. There's some, you have to get your public services right. Yeah. It's not just about public transport. It's about supporting... It's all the stuff that goes, that goes around Supporting the cleaners, okay. everybody who works on that system. All right, well, listen, give us a text, 53106, and tell us how clean or dirty your local area is, your city, your town, and what you think the reasons for that are. Uh, now, a complete left turn, as they say, on our You can dance away in there, Garrett. Our producer's <laughs> dancing. He loves it. He's loving it because he just wants a song that says pineapple. <laughs> and that is Agadoo from Black Lace. Well, now, that's taken me back uh, more than a few years. And why are we playing that. I was in an interior shop uh, last week, Roisin, and part of the, uh, you know, all this brass and gold coloured stuff is in from everything from bathroom fittings to garden ornaments. Yes. Pineapples. Pineapples, I, I am... Lemons. Okay, right. Both Fake of you. oranges. I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> listeners. Both Sinead and Garrett have just discovered pineapples. Pineapples, I'm saying... I'm sorry, I have a friend who's mad into interiors and when it comes around, she's the first one. And about three years ago, I got a thing going, can you do me a, a lino cut of a pineapple to print onto my walls? Yeah. And then she was like, then it was gone. She was, she put, she put mini little gold pineapples uh, on her wall. But... Pineapples, believe it or not, are a very enduring image that comes from the time when people brought fruit to food to each other's houses. The pineapple was the kind of like, do you like my bouquet? Yeah, yeah. You had a pineapple. It's featured in a lot of architecture, even yeah. in these giant buildings. You'd see there's some uh, people actually made buildings. Pineapples are so exotic, a bit like the orchid. The orchids become a bit pedestrian, but at the time, the people there's wars being fought over elusive orchids. It's that part of the, the yeah. kind of train spotting bit I love Food, about Food uh, generally yeah. is featured and it's only when you kind of say it you can you can see it in your mind's eye and you can think of it but um, you know things like the fleur de lis for instance you yes. know that, that kind yeah. of sense of it um, and, and the idea of uh, apples I, apple apple there you go <laughs> in, in industrial yeah. design um, and, and there are other well, examples see, see, of that as what well What there was is there has been always I suppose well, I you had this thing from Greco Roman times of this thing called the egg and the dart which is the thing that first came to my attention as a student of architecture it's a tiny little it looks like a tiny little round and then there's a little dart beside it and what it really is is symbolic of life and death the egg egg symbolised life and the dart symbolises death so you would have seen them in in sort of classical uh, 
very classic Greek architecture. But then in the kind of Georgian period, it's particularly in Ireland, we were really good at this. We went all out and we have a cornucopias mm. and we have fruit bearing down. On Dominic Street in particular is the finest example of this kind of architecture. Early in the world, we're really good at, at, at plastering a few um, uh, grapes and where people would have seen the, the, the kind of celestial part where you look up in the ceiling, you would have seen um, people from each period of the year the fruit baskets and vegetables overflowing baskets and, overflowing okay, so and there's always symbol of life yeah, and symbol of life and fertility and, fruit, and all that and then okay. we have acanthus leaves which are really famous which are you'll universally see which is the vine leaf and that's say you know that your average Victorian door has an acanthus leaf at the scroll it's like a little you'll, now you won't be able to unsee yeah. them you can see the scroll and you can see a shape of like a little vine leaf that's carved in wood that just goes underneath that scroll with the advent of the pineapple, it is the marker of a change of direction for decoration. Why the pineapple, do you think? I think... Just because it just looks so kind of fun and I think warmth so. and sunshine I think, I think, and beaches. And I think you can't... Like, nothing breaks the ice like a pineapple. <laughs> like, it's okay. there in the middle of the room or, like, you can't beat... Like, it has that thing of frivolity. Yeah. Even you, you're sitting yeah. here today and you're wearing leopard skin. Skin. Well, I am. Yes, right. Exactly. Yeah, it's but no what I mean. Like it is that kind of thing like jungle where theme. it's jungle theme. It's kind of it's out there. It's in it's in Cafe and Sen apparently. Um the producer was saying he was in and I we've talked about that before about this kind of like it's it came into our public spaces it's coming to the to the toilets first it's sneaking in it's sneaking into people's houses and the freezes and as and you the say freezes. the you know the, but, the art on the walls but the interpretation yeah. of it as it waters down through into mainstream mm. architecture is that we are seeing and I think it is women in architecture as well we are seeing more colour in architecture Co- okay. colour is becoming really really important yeah. and I think it's going to be if you anybody who was at the showcase um, in the, the last week, weekend the showcase was on in the RDS you'll have seen sort of Lou Brennan who makes all these scarves that are all paisley print mm. like it's coming back Good. it'll be an interesting Good. An inter- for it. and with everything that's going on you can't beat a pineapple no absolutely yeah. alright well listen now um, you are back in yes. studio so that means you are back with an object of design what have you brought in for us today I have brought in picker pals right this is oh, a hard right. one I defy yes, you to no. explain this but this basically is <laughs> yes, thanks very much it is I'll let you try and explain okay. that but essentially it is is a unit because we were talking about litter and it is done by Patrick Johnson and in the Rediscovery Centre they make these litter picking devices. So these are this is like um, a worn item of clothes. It's like um, two school bags worn in on front of you, yeah, um, and it's so it's for schools and uh, picker pals. So, so this is for collecting litter, is it, or segregating? It, it, it? is for kids who basically it's made from recycled sailcloths. And the first one was made by his mum, who's 85 years of age, who made it from his old sailing trousers. He does live in Holt with a view across, apparently an enviable <laughs> view of across to the south side, which is he knows that's my favourite place to live. Anyway, he makes these. It's part of a school nationwide campaign to make They're kids... Very colourful. Very colourful. Yeah. And they come with characters, picker pals, but schools all sign up for it. Your classroom gets these. And then you have, you can have a... There's all these various kind of cartoony people and you go out and you pick up litter, okay? Oh, right. But the thing is what they're really doing and uh, is to try and promote environmentalism and because it's that thing apparently our hedgerows a good thing are cleaner than the he reckons they're cleaner than the mm. English hedgerows mm. so essentially speaking you're starting with the five year olds you're starting with the five year olds and it's that notion that it's fun but it's also because to an extent something 
about picking up litter is also our commitment not to litter. Yeah. And yeah. there is as much, we are all responsible. It isn't just the state to sort of go, okay, right, you know, we're going to put bins everywhere. People have got to stop littering yeah. too. Yeah. And that starts with kids, really. It's like the cigarettes ban, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. They're the first yeah. ones that are going to say, put the fag out. Brilliant initiative. So just remind Pick me, again, pals. people can find but, out more yeah. about that. And, okay. and for <laughs> schools to sign up, I think they're oversubscribed this year. But um, it, they have a schools initiative and they are so excited to be doing this. So pickerspalsworld.org. Brilliant. All right, Roisin, thank you for that and indeed for everything this week. Uh, that's a nice segue back to our first item, which is on towns and cities and littering. And uh, lovely to see you back again. Thank you so much. And that is all we've time for this week. If you'd like to get involved in the show, uh, if you've got a question, a topic you'd like to hear us cover or a guest you'd like us to have in, well then why don't you drop us a line at thehomeshow at newstalk.com or give us a text on 53106 and don't forget to check out our podcast on the News Talk website. Thanks to the production team today. Gareth Mulhall, Steve McLoon is on sound and Anton Savage is up next. He'll be kickstarting the weekend with Ireland's best known architect apart from ours. Who? Dermot Bannon. Oh, God. <laughs> Have a great weekend and remember we are on at 8 o'clock what? and we'll see you next what week. What did you call him? The best known? The tallest? <laughs> just call him the tallest. He's just the tallest. Another architect. From Drumcondra. <laughs> Leafy Drumcondra. Bye folks. <laughs>